Welcome to the Modern Mamas Podcast. We're here to provide a safe space for open dialogue, insights, and anecdotes about empowered pregnancy, labor, delivery, parenthood, and everything in between with zero judgment and open hearts and minds. I'm Jess, a level one CrossFit trainer, a birth fit coach, and a licensed and certified athletic trainer. I have my master's degree in kinesiology, and I am currently studying to be a certified nutrition consultant. I'm the blogger behind Hold the Space Wellness, as well as a mom to two small kiddos. And I'm Laura, a certified CrossFit trainer, certified nutrition consultant, birth fit Santa Cruz regional director, and mama to Evie Wilder. I'm also the woman behind Radical Roots, where you'll find recipes, fitness insights, travel tips, consulting, and more. Please note that while we're here to provide advice and insights, we aren't medical practitioners and always recommend that you check with a trusted provider before implementing any changes. Thanks for joining us. We are so happy you're here. Happy New Year, friends. We are so excited to kick off this year with another incredible giveaway, and this one is all about self-care. We've teamed up with some of our favorite companies to give away items that we've personally used for our own self-care this past year, and we cannot wait to share that love with you. The first item in the giveaway is a bottle of our favorite grass-fed organ complex from Paleo Valley to nourish from the inside out. The next one up is an entirely plastic-free Pura bottle to keep you hydrated and toxin-free that I personally have used and loved, and so have my kiddos. And then, for your reading and self-care pleasure, we're giving away a copy of the brand newly released 21 Day Sugar Detox Daily Guide by Dan Sanfilippo. And we've also teamed up with two amazing strong mamas who are putting self-love goodness into the world and empowering other mamas in the process. Cassie Joy Garcia brings you her all-access seat for three months of her next Fed and Fit project. And Miranda Shivers, incredible athlete and mama to baby Knox, is offering three free months of do-it-at-home street parking fitness programming. How sweet is all that? All you have to do is subscribe, rate, and review the Modern Mamas podcast. Take a screenshot of your review and email it to us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. It's as simple as that. Giveaway ends January 31st, so don't miss out. When you leave a review, it helps others find our tribe. We're so grateful to have you here and so excited about all that 2018 has to offer. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Modern Mamas podcast. Um, I feel a little bit lost today because Laura is um, taking a little break today from the podcast, which is good for her. And also, it's good for me to be alone occasionally to kind of spread my wings. But I have a really, really cool guest here today that I'm going to announce in a bit. I'm going to keep you, well, it's not suspense because if you've already clicked on the <laughs> the podcast episode, you know what you're listening to, but I'm going to pretend like you don't know. So I am here today by myself. Um, check-in wise, let's see, since I don't get to ask Laura anything about her cool, cooler than mine life, I'm trying to think what's going on. Um, Halloween is right around the corner. We are doing... So typically we do like family costumes, just like most of America, but my son wanted to be the same costume that he was last year, which is kind of disappointing. (laughs) We we tried, we tried like numerous times to suggest a bunch of cool costumes, but he wants to be, no, and actually it's not the same thing, which is why we couldn't use his last year's costume. He wants to be a gray bat Spider-Man. And so I'm not really sure what that is, but we did find a costume on Amazon that was a Spider-Man with like little wings. So I don't know if that's like the new Spider-Man, but he has like little wings in his armpits. And so 
that's what he is. And so Camille is going to be, again, we were all superheroes last year. And Camille's going to be a different superhero, but she's going to be a superhero too. And then Tim and I are just going to do our own thing. I think I'm going to be like a cat and Tim's going to be a vampire. So straying a little bit from the family costume idea, but it'll be a good time. Um, It's really weird Halloween with like tiny kids because they go to bed at like ours go to bed at like 7:30 and we're not going to keep them out super late and most of the trick or treating doesn't start till like 6 6:30 so we're doing a thing at our library tonight um and that'll probably be most of what we do and then maybe some trick or treating around the the neighborhood but Halloween's fun I think I talked about this on a previous episode though like bear can't have um food dye and so that's tricky um we kind of have to go through all of this candy and talk to him about what he can and can't have. He can have all the chocolate in the world, but we have to kind of moderate the, the food dye candy, which is fine because I can have food dye candy. And so that's just a perk of being a parent. Uh, this is so weird talking to myself, but I'm talking to Malika, our guest, which spilled the beans here, but she's like nodding along and I'm like, okay, at least it feels like I'm talking with someone. Um, so that's my check-in. Nothing, nothing super exciting going on that I know of. Oh, we're getting our dogs trained too. Um, our two giant Pyrenees, they have been escaping actually. So Ollie is our boy. Um, he is, he's smart, but he's not, he's more like the doo-doo-doo, like he's just like a big teenage boy. And then Luna is our girl, and she's really, really smart. Like, she's very agile for a Pyrenees and um, has learned how to open our gates even when they're locked. So they got out yesterday. So we're going to kind of um, – gotcha. Um, we're going <laughs> to – we are going to – sorry. I just figured out how to pronounce our guest's name, and I'm probably going to say it wrong about a million times. <laughs> I love it. I love being by myself. I mean, not really, but it's just, there's no one to moderate my weirdness here. Um, lost my train of thought. Oh, they're getting trained. So that's going to be good. It's going to be a positive, um, trainer reinforcement trainer that we found here in town that was really, really highly recommended. So we're excited about that. And last but not least, if you haven't seen both Laura and I's um, Insta stories and Instagram posts, we have recently partnered with an amazing company um, called ButcherBox, which is a um, a meat delivery service. It's grass-fed, grass-finished, antibiotic-free, hormone-free, all of the frees, really, really good um, sourced cuts of meat, both pork, beef, and chicken. And basically what they do is you can either do just a box that's already picked for you or you can kind of curate your own custom box where you can pick all the choices of, of cuts that you want. Um, and basically it's delivered to your door every month and it's really, really good quality for that or a really good, good price for that type of, um, quality of meat. And so it's been amazing for our family. Um, and because we love it so much, we got a really cool offer for you guys, which is $10 off your first order and two free 10 ounce ribeyes, which I have to tell you, the ribeyes are insane, like insanely good. We, I, I, so you can pick different things in your box. We basically got all ribeyes um, and some burgers because they're just that delicious. So anyways, if you use our link, which will be in the show notes, and we have them on our various social media platforms, um, you can get that deal, which I highly recommend. Um, even just trying it and see if it works for your family because it's been really, really helpful for us. Um, to not have to spend an arm and a leg on really good quality cuts of meat. So 
that's amazing. Now let's get to the meat of the subject. So my guest, I'm going to butcher your name. I'm so sorry. I'm the worst. I'm the literal worst. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Malika. Malika. Mal- Malika. Malika. Got yes. it. Okay. Wait. So back up for a second before I introduce you. Okay. Where did that name come from? Um, so I grew up on a hippie commune in the mountains of Santa Cruz, California. Amazing. Yeah. Um, and, uh, it's Sanskrit like from India. And so my parents, um, got the name from their yoga guru when I was born. Wow. So it's so funny that you mentioned that because Laura and I talk about creating a compound of our own and she lives in Santa Cruz. So maybe we'll just join up. Is it still there? It's still there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. I'm going to have to tell her that. Okay. We found our compound. Um, okay. <laughs> Molly Cup is a passionate and support, supportive uh, therapist. Okay. Back that up. She's passionate about supporting women who are struggling with fertility, pregnancy, and postpartum. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California, as well as a trained RI intern. I'm saying that right, right? Yeah. Okay. And a member of Postpartum Support International. Malika has a private psychotherapy practice in Berkeley and San Francisco, specializing in maternal mental health and perinatal mood disorders. She sees individuals and couples in her therapy practice, as well as facilitates mother support groups, parenting discussions, and parent infant classes called Mindful Babies. In her life journey to becoming a therapist, Malika has studied theater, performing arts, religion, yoga, meditation, and nutrition. She's also a mom of two young ones and has been with her partner for over 13 years. She likes to say that her work is just about learning to be a human in the presence of another human. Oh my gosh, I love that so much. Um, So that's like your your business bio. Um, And we've talked kind of beforehand about all the things we could possibly talk about, um, because you have such a wide variety of interests and knowledge and, um, kind of things that are your jam. But today we're going to focus on just a few things and we'll kind of see where the wind takes us. Cause that's what we like to do on this podcast. But I'm going to talk a lot about, um, birth trauma and kind of postpartum depression and perinatal mood disorders and what that looks like and what does seeking help look like, which I think is huge for most people because they don't even, I mean, people are aware of what that stuff is, but they don't sometimes even know that they're going through it um, at the time. And so I think this episode is going to be super helpful. I personally have gone through um, various intensities of those feelings. Mm -hmm. And so um, I know it's a lot more common than people probably think. Um, and so you're probably going to tell us a lot more about that, but what, yeah, yeah. (laughs) it it is more common than people think. Um, and there's, there's a wider spectrum, you know, a lot of people have heard of postpartum depression and, um, postpartum anxiety is becoming like kind of more well-known. Um, and it's about 13 to 19% of mothers experience, um, one of those two. Um, in the first year after birth. Um, but there's also OCD, um, bipolar, PTSD, or post-traumatic um, symptoms. Like you don't always have the full-blown PTSD, but you can have, you know, a, a traumatic experience and then you're having um, symptoms like post-traumatic stress. Um, and then psychosis, which is really, really rare. So just right off the top, I want to say it's like point one to point two percent of moms, um, experience that. And those are the, 
those are the more sensationalized stories that you'll see in the media that are, you know, kind of intense and scary. And a lot of times um, moms who are experiencing symptoms of the other disorders are afraid that that's what's happening to them. Um, and it's, you know, right off the bat, I want to say, like, it's really, really rare. And, it you know, if you're aware that something doesn't feel good, you're not in psychosis. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good to throw that out there before we dive deep into it, because I'm sure a lot of people are like, hmm, okay, I want to see where this is going. Before we get into the meat, though, I want you to tell yeah. me um, first, because all that stuff, I'm, I'm just so excited for you to, to drop some serious knowledge bombs on us, mm-hmm. but quick icebreaker. So we always ask okay. just a fun question to kind of get the, get the talkies flowing, but what's your favorite thing about being a mom? Oh, (laughs) I mean, how old are your littles? Um, I have a six year old and an almost three year old. She's going to be three in two days. Um, I, I think my favorite thing is when I kind of am able to witness them doing something and they don't know anyone's watching. So my kids love to sing songs or they'll tell stories or when they're playing in the corner and they're taking care of their dolls or talking to them and they don't know that I'm like listening in and just to hear like the funny things that they say and um, how they'll imitate things that we say and recreate experiences that they've had. Um, Yeah. It's amazing. it's, it's so fun it to see that. Fun. Oh my gosh. That's the best. Um, getting into that like three, four, five, six age. I'm sure it's my oldest is four and he's just now getting to that point where he'll play independently and you can just kind of like hear stuff. And it's like, you were listening to like our conversation three <laughs> days ago because you're basically saying the same thing. Um, right. not, <laughs> not to like go off on a tangent, but right now he's, um, my husband is super into Hamilton, the play, like mm-hmm. the musical, and so he plays it in the background all the time, uh, like when we're cooking or getting ready. And Bear, my son, is just like obsessed with it too. So he's just like, we didn't really know he was listening and paying attention, but he'll mm-hmm. sing like lines from the song about Alexander Hamilton. And we're like, oh my God, like he loves it. So anyways, it's just like sponges, right? Like they just soak up everything that you My kids say. really love the King songs and they'll like request them. That's amazing. Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. It's so that's such a good play. Um, have yeah. you seen it in person? Yeah, we did get to oh see it here gosh. in San Francisco. That's like our dream. I know like the original yeah. cast is like long gone, but one day we will see them. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So tell us a little bit more about yourself before we yeah. dive into the meet, how you found your passion, how you got to where you are now, and just kind of like what your trajectory to this point. Totally. To be on our, uh, world, our world famous podcast now. <laughs> Um, yeah, where to start, I guess. Um, I started to, well, yeah, so I grew up on that hippie commune. Um, and then I went to college and, and was, you know, trying to figure out what I wanted to do and studied, um, acting and theater and was kind of pursuing that, um, down in LA and, you know, my mission, what I really wanted to do with that was to help people. Basically the last line of my bio was like, how can we be more connected to our humanity and more connected to everyone around us? Um, and 
understanding more about our own experience. And I wanted to do that through, um, through movies and plays and, and whatever. And it just wasn't happening. And so I decided to go back to school and I got my degree in, um, clinical psychology and knew that I wanted to be a therapist. And, um, then I got pregnant and, um, and then I had postpartum depression after my daughter was born. Um, after your first? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't really know, you know, it was a mix for me of postpartum depression and anxiety. And I didn't, even having studied it in school, didn't know that that's what was happening to me until months in and I was in therapy and my therapist kind of helped me name it. And that was really what inspired me to then specialize in it. And so that was about seven, six years ago. Um, and so I, I've been, you know, training and getting special education in it and reading all the books and listening to all the podcasts on it. And there's a lot of information out there and, um, it's just not known like sort of in the, um, mainstream culture, like people don't talk about it that much and there still is a taboo around it. Um, and so I'm, I'm really wanting to change that, which is part of why I wanted to, you know, come here and talk about it. Yeah. I think it's really cool that you said that even I feel like therapists are, um, so I actually met with, um, their, their guests, they're going to be guests on our podcast probably by the time this airs, but, um, Joy and Claire from Girls Gone Wad and actually, so Mm -hmm. they have their own podcast, but Joy is a therapist, um, and she manages a group of therapists for Kaiser Permanente, which is like, I guess, an insurance group. Um, but she went to a birth fit seminar that I was at, and she was talking about how she wanted to take this information back to her therapist because they were scared, basically Mm -hmm. scared about working with uh, postpartum issues because they didn't feel, I guess, maybe adequate enough to deal with it or that they knew enough about it. And so I feel like what you're touching on here and kind of you just deep diving into it is so needed. I mean, do you feel like in the the professional therapy community that it is not necessarily, I guess, addressed as much as it should be? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's not a specific class on it, you know, in, I think some schools offer electives and so you can get more information that way, but, um, it's not talked about, um, in the main education portion. And I mean, there are different, um, degrees, uh, like LCSW or MFT or, um, LPCC. There's different what are school programs. For? Um, so, uh, <laughs> licensed professional clinical counselor <laughs> or, um, licensed social worker, um, licensed clinical social worker, and then marriage and family therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, and I agree, I think with that, like a lot of, a lot of therapists, a lot of professionals that don't have any training in it feel, um, wary about what to do with it. And, Mm -hmm. um, like we were talking a little bit before we started recording, there are specific symptoms that are, normal, but if you don't know that, it can be really scary as a clinician and you feel like 
you know, this person might be suicidal and what do I do with that? And um, there's a lot of fear around suicidality um, working with postpartum women. Right. And, and it is a real thing that happens, you know. Um, so it's not that we shouldn't be aware of it, but um, having the education on understanding the diseases better can help clinicians understand when there's a real threat. Right. Gotcha. Ooh, getting serious Hot here. and heavy already. <laughs> well, I mean, this isn't really a lighthearted topic today, is no. it? <laughs> so now that you kind of told us how you got to where you're at, um, let's dive in a little bit. So you had mentioned, what was the percentage of perinatal mood disorders, did you say, that, most, that, they, that we know of? Because that's probably skewed, because a lot of people may... Yeah suffer in silence and just think everything is normal when it's probably not. So exactly. what's, what's the t- statistical reality of, of these disorders? Well, I think the one I mentioned was for postpartum depression and anxiety, and that's about 13 to 19% um, of mothers um, are able to identify that they have that, and some are not able to identify that. Um, 2 to 5% have postpartum OCD, um, so, so all of this is like, you may be, maybe you were depressed before, but it looks different in the postpartum phase. And so same with OCD. Some people have never had any symptoms of OCD and all of a sudden they're obsessing over the nap schedule and really fearful of something terrible is going to happen if I don't get my baby down for a nap by one o'clock or whatever it is. Um, and then with PTSD, about um, 9% of moms um, develop full-blown PTSD. And then this statistic, I was shocked to see that in the U.S., 35% of moms um, feel that their birth was traumatic in some way. 35%. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. And and I don't think that that is well known. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I thought... I mean, I thought I was the only one, <laughs> basically. Right. Everyone always thinks they're the only one, right, when they're going through something hard until they start talking yeah. about it and realizing people people reach out to me all the time and be like, thank you for sharing your story. I thought that I was just the only person in the world that felt this way. So Well, and it's so huge. hard to know who to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you're in these mom groups, say, or these classes, and you don't know if people are having similar symptoms. And, and it feels scary to open up and be honest and have people kind of say, oh, it's just a phase. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I totally know how that feels. And it's a phase. It'll end. Just go get a massage. You'll feel better. Hire a babysitter. Have a date night. All these things. And and. For some women, that does help, you know, like Mm -hmm. knowing that it's a phase, knowing that things change. Um, But I think for a lot of women, it it, it's not validating of their experience. Um, So do you feel like um, people who possibly dealt with post or not postpartum depression or anxiety pre pregnancy, are they more likely to experience um, in your you know, professional opinion to experience these types of things, or is it kind of like a toss up? People don't really know one way or the other. It's definitely statistically more likely. Um, there are a number of risk factors involved and a previous history of 
any kind of mental illness. Um, I hate that word. Right. Um, but any kind of mood disorders, um, definitely is a risk factor that you could develop it. Um, but it also is hit and miss. I mean, um, for me, I had it after the birth of my first and I didn't have it after the birth of my second. For some women, they'll not have it until they have their fourth baby. And then all of a sudden they're having a totally different postpartum experience than what they had had before. So it is a little bit unknown fully why it happens to everybody. And, and, you know, with the, it it makes me think of like mom guilt and just feeling like everything is your fault. And so we automatically think there must've been something I did or I'm doing wrong. Um, and so it's, you know, it's really not the mom's fault that this is happening. Right. Do you, is it, um, I mean, I know you said like the research is, it's still not like really validated on why these things are happening, but is it, is it a hormonal imbalance? Is it something that is just, uh, I mean, I don't know, like, cause for me, I always struggled, like, why am I feeling this way? Like, mm-hmm. is it hormones? Is it, do I just need to like mindset harder? Like, how do I control <laughs> this? You know? And so I was- I would say it's not mindset harder. <laughs> I should just be that's working harder on this. <laughs> that sounds like, you know, the disease talking, right? right? Like right. you got to do it, do it better. Mm-hmm. If you did it better, you would not feel this way. But right. um, it's all of those things, you know, and that's what's so frustrating about it is that it's not just a chemical imbalance in the brain or a hormonal thing. So all of those, it's like a perfect storm. It's like, for whatever reason, this person's emotional background or or their mindset or their hormones, plus a history of whatever, or they had a traumatic experience during the birth or breastfeeding is so impossible. And, um, it's kind of of above. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. And the more of those quote unquote risk factors you have, the more difficult of a time you're going to have. And, and it's more likely that you'll have one of these issues for some women. It's just, it turns on a dime. Their baby is born and suddenly they feel numb and they feel totally disconnected from their partner and they don't feel connected to their baby. They're not feeling the joy that they expected. Mm -hmm. Um, the expectations plays a big part too, are of ourselves and of what the experience is going to be like. Mm-hmm. I think for me, and cause all I can talk about is my personal experience and I don't, it's not, this episode's not about me, but just <laughs> maybe if I share part of my story, it can kind of resonate with other people. But, um, for me, it was the expectations versus reality that in the fact that I did X, Y, Z, Z, V, B, A, all of the, the boxes I checked during pregnancy and my birth was really traumatic. And, um, the immediate postpartum phase was really traumatic And there was separation of me from my son and breastfeeding was not easy and he was colicky and there was so much more crying than I expected. And it was like all of these things rolled into one and it just felt um, like I had failed in some way Um, from the start of labor to where we were now, which was like me a crying mess, him a crying mess and me like unable to figure out how to meet his needs or my own needs Mm -hmm. for that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and so 
I mean, it's just like what you said. I feel like it's kind of that perfect storm. Whereas my second experience and same as you, it was completely different, completely different. And by anyone looking from the outside in, I should have been more stressed, you know, because Mm -hmm. I have two kids now and we moved and I changed jobs and it was all this stuff. But it was like, it was not, (laughs) it did not impact me in the same way. Um, so yeah, that's, that's also to speak to all the perfect storm happening and also the randomness of it because yeah, it didn't happen to me the second time. So, yeah. And it can feel so frustrating that you don't know why it's happening. And, and, you know, when you're in that phase of you're crying and the baby's crying and what does he need and what do I do and how do I get out of this? And, um, you know, it can feel so overwhelming to mm-hmm. even catch your breath um, and then just get through the day. Yeah, that's totally, I 100% I'm like nodding my head along. I'm going to side note here for a second. And I don't yeah. know, this is not a really common thing, but we had a question about it um, on our Facebook group. And it's something that I actually had with my second one, but I didn't mm. know. Um, it was, it's something called DMER. D, a dysphoric milk ejection reflex. Um, but Mm. basically it's like negative feelings. There's a, there's a range, um, of feelings from like just slight, like feelings of sadness or they, they term it like homesickness, um, to like intense anger or like, Mm -hmm. like just terrible feelings that would last a lot, lot longer than like normal, but during nursing. Um, and so I've experienced that. It was a very mild mm-hmm. case, but it was just like every time I would nurse or pump, I would just mm-hmm. get this pit in my stomach, like like this thing that would sock me, like sad, like I'm mm-hmm. sad. I'm, I'm homesick for something. I don't even know what it is. Mm-hmm. And then it would pass, like by the time I was done pumping or that first few minutes of like a letdown and everything. Have you, um, I don't think it's very common or maybe it is common. It's just not really, it's more of like a hormonal response um, to nursing, but that triggers some mental mm-hmm. issues. Have you ever come across mm-hmm. that before or heard of it? I haven't. Okay. No, I haven't, but it, it sounds n- normal, quote unquote right. normal, right? right? Like it sounds uh, within the realm of normal. Yeah. And definitely, I think it's one of those things that people just kind of like, maybe it happens to them and they don't really think about it because it's mm-hmm. over kind of quickly, unless you're at that that more severe end of your response. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things that's fascinating because I shared my experience and then I had a couple of people that were like, Hey, like that's happened to me too. And that didn't happen to yeah. me with my first where I had like, you know, postpartum depression, and anxiety. It's yeah. just so weird. The human body and the way hormones are interacting, especially after pregnancy, because things are so different. It's just crazy. It's kind of like a crapshoot, right? Yeah. It's, it's really hard to tell what your experience is going to be like, which, and you know, you're bringing this up, which is something that I hadn't heard of or dealt mm-hmm. with in my practice. Um, and there are other symptoms that, um, maybe are less well known, mm-hmm. um, like that. Um, and that people don't talk a lot about and people think, um, it's just, I'm the only one who's experiencing it. Um, so tell us ang- about, Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say um, anger is kind of one of those um, mm-hmm. that like when people hear postpartum depression or anxiety, they don't necessarily think of a mom who's really angry and angry at their baby or angry at their partner. Um, 
So that can be something to watch out for that is a sign that there's something off. Um, also, there's something um, called intrusive thoughts um, and images, and that can be pretty intense. Um, and, you know, I'm aware that that mamas are going to be listening to this and they may be in that phase. And so sometimes talking about this kind of stuff can be triggering and upsetting. Um, so I don't know how much in detail we want to go. Um, but you know, it, it can be really scary to have these, um, very sort of violent or intense thoughts and images. And the important piece is what I said earlier too. If it doesn't feel good, then you're in the safe zone. Um, if you're having this thought that, you know, like, what if I walking down the stairs and I'm going to trip and fall and some, you know, horrible thing is going to happen and that scares you, then that's, you're in that zone of like, you're not actually going to do that thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the tripping and falling down the stairs, that's an accident. But sometimes mm-hmm. they can be more like intentionally hurting the baby or um, hurting yourself or something like that. And and if it's not a relief or like sounding good to do it, um, then you're in that normal sort of range of having a postpartum mood disorder. And this is one of the signs that people don't often talk about because there is so much stigma around it. And chatting with a mom at a mom's group and saying like, Oh, I'm having this, you know, it's, it's really intense. And the response isn't always going to be like, Oh gosh, it sounds really hard. You know, it's going to be like, uh, you need to be on some medication or, you know, like there's something wrong with you is kind of going to be the response most often and And can even go ahead. Sorry. It can even happen with, um, clinicians who are not trained. Right. Um, um, and we'll put a trigger warning at the beginning of the episode just so people will know. Um, but I do want you to be very candid because I feel like mm-hmm. people just may think it's normal to feel like I want to like whatever, harm my baby in this mm-hmm. way or harm myself. Um, but maybe if they're hearing this and they're thinking, oh, okay, like uh, maybe I should talk to somebody about that. But I mean, and you were saying if you're having these thoughts and you're thinking about them after they pop into your head, like, Oh my gosh, like that's crazy. I would never do that. But on the other hand, if you're having these thoughts and you're thinking it would be a relief if you Mm -hmm. could drown yourself in the bathtub or whatever. Um, I mean, I'm just, you know, trying to use the least graphic example um, (laughs) that I can think of. Um, if you're thinking that that sounds like a great idea, that's probably not a good thing. But how would you know, like in your mind? Right. Because there's a certain amount of relief that is going to be present, like in that sort of thing that can be normal. That doesn't mean you're going to okay. do it. Okay. Um, you know, if you're making plans to do things, you know, that's a sign that you really need to call someone as soon as possible mm-hmm. and get some support. Um, but, you know, it could be something like, you know, really wanting to shake your baby. Like they're crying and you're feeling angry and you don't know what to do and you just want to shake the baby. But you, that really scares you. So you put the baby down in the in a safe place like the crib and you leave the room. Mm-hmm. Um, that's 
you know, within the realm of safe um, and is a sign, obviously, that, you know, maybe there is some postpartum depression or anxiety or, you know, it's very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not something that you're going to do, mm-hmm. you know, like sometimes moms can be really afraid that, okay, if I'm having flashing on this image of shaking my baby, I, what if I do that? And what mm-hmm. if, or, you know, throwing my baby or, um, I don't know how graphic I really want to get yeah. because there are some really intense things. Right. Um, and I, I guess, you know, if someone's listening to this and is like, oh my gosh, I, I have that. I'm mm-hmm. thinking this one thing and, and I keep thinking about it and I'm so scared of it. That's a sign that, to that get there help, might, right. Yeah. To like get to help resources. And you know, I think what I'm trying to say is just that it doesn't mean just having the thought doesn't mean you're going to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes that goes away, that goes away. And, and it's not something that's going to be there forever. Right. Um, well, I will tell you, I'll be a little vulnerable and open here too, but with my first, I did feel that, you know, when you just clench your hands and you're like, Oh my mm-hmm. God, like, I want to just, oh, and you, you see Mm -hmm. how people can do that. Like, because you go there in your mind and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I want to do this because I don't know what else to do. But Mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's okay. I'm going to put this child down. I'm going to, I'm going to pass them to their dad. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to go to my closet and like scream. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's what I'm going to do instead. (laughs) But it's like the urge like you're saying, I think it's, it's recognizing that that can be something that happens and the fact that you're realizing it and choosing an alternative is a good thing. And, and also yeah. a place where you can kind of then, I wish I would have gotten help at that point. I just kind of yeah. let it ride and I never thankfully did anything um, mm-hmm. to my child or myself or my family or anything like that. But um, I guess what I'm saying is like, if people are listening to this and they are thinking that they've been there before, it's like, okay, you're not alone, but this doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean you're in a good place. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it means it's a sign that you could use some more support, that right. there's something going on. There's something else going on. And it, it it's not in the realm of <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Parenting is just hard. Mm-hmm. Yes, it totally is. And if if it's at this next level for you, get some help, get right. some support and find, find a therapist who specializes in postpartum mood disorder, who can really give you, um, a safe place to bring all of this right. and can tell you that's, uh, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And right. You'll get through it. I have a question. Um, sorry, I know we're just like going off on tangents, but, um, sorry. So a lot of people think labor and delivery, you know, two to three weeks, you're kind of weepy, what they call like the baby blues or whatever. And then if it persists past that, it's technically like postpartum depression or anxiety. What if someone, um, feels okay, maybe the first like three to four months postpartum, they're still on that, like, Hi, mm-hmm. and you know, there's still everything's new. Can it set in at a later date, like four, six, nine, twelve months after 
labor. And yes, delivery. it can. That's a really important question okay. um, because a lot of people think my baby's six months. This isn't postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. I'm just a bad mom. Mm-hmm. I just can't cut it. I should never have had kids. All these kinds of self-doubting and guilt um, can kind of come up. And yeah, it can set in any time in the first year. Okay. That's good to know. Um, yeah. what, what happens if it's after? Is it just normal, not normal <laughs> depression, but you know what I mean? It just well, usually clinically termed postpartum Yeah, depression. usually it, it, it maybe looks a little bit different. It looks a little bit more like regular depression. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so usually things like those intrusive thoughts, that's not going to be happening usually after the first year. Um, but all the regular signs of depression can be there, including anger, which is right. something that not a lot of people know is one of the symptoms of depression, any type of depression. Gotcha. Um, and then I know another, so many questions. I, while I have you here, I'm just going to like ask every single question that's ever popped into my mind. Let's do it. Um, also, so in my experience too with bear, so I pretty much suffered through postpartum depression in the, I mean, it decreased as he got older and more independent, but, um, the whole time I was nursing and then we stopped nursing around two years, a little less than two years. And then there was a really intense period at the cessation of nursing where I guess hormonal shifts really, really, that was even more difficult than the initial Mm -hmm. period for me of like, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of anger and like frustration and sadness and, and all the things were just like really intense. Um, have you, or, you know, have you had that experience in your practice with patients or yourself? Um, is that something that people, I feel like people aren't aware of that shift. Yeah, well, I, I I definitely think that that is common, that when you're stopping nursing, you know, you have the hor- the hormonal shift. Um, but also, it sounds like there can be some almost like re-experiencing of the grief and the the loss of what you wanted it to be. So here you are, you're ending your nursing experience, you're two years in, and it can bring up all that all the expectations and all the ways that you wanted it to be. And it's, and it wasn't. Um, so I think it's fairly common to re-experience some of that stuff at different stages. And, and I think it can also happen with subsequent births, right? So like we were talking about risk factors, if you've had it once, you're more likely to have it again, both you and I didn't have that experience, so it's not a guarantee for sure, but um, it can be, you know, you can experience some, like a milder version or even just some continued grief about what the first experience was like. Um, and that's the thing with, like, with trauma and loss is that it um, can come back and grief happens in stages and over time and, um that's somewhat normal. Like there's nothing wrong with you if all of a sudden you have a second baby and you're grieving again for the first birth that you had that didn't go the way you wanted it to. Absolutely. And that's, again, speaking to my personal experience that I was so happy the second time around, Mm -hmm. but then I would get these feelings of sadness. Like I wish I would have been able to give this experience to my son and Mm -hmm. myself um, Mm -hmm. the first go around. And it's like, you're just grieving for that time that you lost and the 
I don't know, the bond that you feel like you missed out on. Um, Mm -hmm. And now being where I am now and a place where therapy is a very real like thing and part of my life. And Mm -hmm. I'm able to like look forward and say, okay, now I can move forward and we can do things with my son that will not necessarily make up for that timeless loss, but you know, I don't have to like live back there in the past, but I, I mean, exactly what you're saying. It it was just the grief would hit me at times where I'm like, just enjoying this so much and wondering why I didn't have that experience the first go around. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you mentioned that for sure. Yeah. And it reminds me also of, of wanting to kind of say that, um, you know, this 34% of women experience their birth as traumatic in some way. And, and there's grief often involved with trauma and, um, it does, there's no like, Oh, okay. So if, if your birth had X, Y, and Z, then it was traumatic. It's really about what was your experience. It may have not been traumatic for anybody else. There, it may have looked like a totally normal birth, but something happened. You were not told about some intervention that was about to happen or, or there can be a myriad of things that happen that, um, are experienced as upsetting and traumatic for the mother. And that's what's important to pay attention to. So if you're a mom and you feel grief or um, afraid of birth or like, you know, your birth wasn't the way you wanted it to be and, and that's upsetting, trust that. Know that that's important to pay attention to and to give some space for your grieving process. Right. So can you talk to us? I know we've gone on a couple of tangents, but talk to us, you know, just realistically, what does therapy like for those postpartum mood disorders, postpartum mood disorders cannot talk. What do they look like? <laughs> what does it look like in your practice? Yeah. Um, well, it's, it's not always long-term therapy because a lot of times women who come are not looking, you know, you're a mom of a newborn or somebody under a year, you have a lot going on. So it's not about um, diving in and talking about your childhood unless that's helpful. Um, It's really about women coming in and saying, this is my experience and I'm there to hold and, and be with them in what their experience has been. And it's a mix of sort of that holding environment and then also some talking about, okay, what what's triggering for you right now? How can we support you? How can you adjust what you're doing to make it easier? Um, where can you reach out to get more support? Um, but really in the therapeutic space, it's about coming and talking to the therapist and, and knowing that what you're experiencing is within the range of normal for whatever's happening, postpartum depression, OCD, PTSD, um, and feeling heard and feeling, um, yeah, just that you're allowed to feel the way that you feel and it's hard and it will end and it won't last forever but it's what's happening right now. And do you do specific, to me, it seems like a lot of like talking through it and finding support and resources. Do you do, do you practice kind of off topic, but is it a specific type of therapy? Like, 
um, gosh, I can't even think of what the one I'm, I'm thinking of off the top of my head, but, or is it just really just working through the issue? Like I, I know there's like cognitive, cognitive like stuff. I'm really reaching here. I am not a professional, in it <laughs> but uh, I think there, are there like of... techniques or is it just more talking through it? What I practice is a little more talking through it. Um, you're, I think you're thinking of cognitive behavioral therapy. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's what I um, That can be helpful, um, certainly in, in figuring out um, strategies and sort of um, things to do and, and ways to change the way that you're thinking. Um, but what I've found, I don't really practice that way in general. Um, and what I've found most helpful is that sort of holding space, mm-hmm. basically creating a really nurturing um relationship, um, that I, you know, I have experience and I have knowledge and I can help them understand more. Um, and I'm not afraid of what they're experiencing. I'm not going to, um, react. Um, and I think that's a really important healing part of it. Um, so psychodynamic is kind of the general Theory, yeah, that's kind gotcha. of the theory that I use, um, both with postpartum moms and with all of my clients. So um, I know we're talking to people, we're talking in terms of like how we're speaking to people that are actually going through this, but what about, we do actually have dads and partners mm-hmm. um, that listen, and maybe they're not going to be the ones going through that, but um, what would you kind of tell partners or whoever's going to be like that support person or present, is there anything that maybe would be a red flag or, you know, not necessarily that their partner is telling them, but that they can observe happening that would be like, Hey, I noticed this. Do you want to talk about it? I I feel Mm -hmm. like maybe this is something you should explore. Like, are there any signs that you can kind of just in general throw out there? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think first I want to say it is really common for the partners to be sort of the first one to reach out or to start to name what's happening. Um, And so I would say to trust your instinct. Um, If you're a partner and you're listening to this and you think that there might be something like this happening for the mother in your house, trust that. Um, you know, I, we could list symptoms, but it's also fairly easy to like just Google it and and read about you know what the symptoms are. Um, and yeah, just if you think that there's something going on, then try to be as understanding as you can and and just listen, you know, and just say like, "Hey, I want you to know that I really love and support you, and uh, I'm open to hearing anything that's happening for you." Um, and trying to figure out if you need more support, um, in any way. I don't know. Is that helpful? (laughs) (laughs) I know there's not, I think I was like trying to say like, okay, if someone's X, Y, Z, then they definitely have postpartum depression, which is not the case. And that's what you've been telling us the whole time is that there's a wide variety of the way people will express these, um, disorders or, you know, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not like a cookie cutter process, but, um, I guess what you're saying is if something seems not normal to, to you because you're the person who is with your partner, 
Um, yeah. That bringing that up or reaching out is probably, you're probably kind of yeah. instinctually, you kind of know, right? Yeah, I think, I think partners can tell and, mm-hmm. and you know, it, um, basic things are usually fairly obvious, like not, um, not enjoying things that they used to enjoy, um, not wanting to be social, starting to isolate, mm-hmm. crying, yelling, anger, um, stuff like that. Um, and again, maybe none of that, you know, there's, there's a lot of moms that make it look like they're fine. There's mm-hmm. this, there's this thing that happens with anxiety that it can be a little harder to tell because with anxiety, it can look like you're this super productive put together. You have your kids on a schedule, you, you know, whatever, like certain number of ounces of milk are defrosted and all these things and you're pumping out and you're doing it all. And maybe you're working too. And, and it can be masked a little more easily and harder mm-hmm. to tell that there's an anxiety piece, um, happening. Right. Totally. I, I think that's huge. And I, I won't talk again about my experience, but I mean, that was, (laughs) that was me. Yeah. (laughs) So totally understand what you're saying there. Um, so now that we kind of know what that would look like, what about some signs that you may be improving from these disorders? Is there like a, a general timeline or is it for everyone's different? And how would you recognize that you're maybe coming out of the, the haze? Yeah, I think that's a really important piece to talk about. Um, there's no timeline for some. It it takes a week. Um, I've had clients who come in after one session and say, oh my gosh, I'm feeling so much better just having talked about some of this. Um, and it can take months, you know. Um, sometimes getting on medication can be really helpful to sort of just buoy the mom out of the really uh, intense phases. Um, But, you know, it it can be things like actually wanting to see people, actually wanting to go to a mom's group or a class and not just feeling like, oh, I should, because that's what a good mom does, or I'm depriving my baby if I don't, so I should go. But actually feeling like, this would be cool. I want to go to the park and play or, or, um, I want to go to that mom's group and feeling basically able to connect with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, I also remember I started to notice that I could go with the flow more when I started to feel better, that it wasn't, um, you know, the end of the world. If something was happening, um, it didn't feel as overwhelming, but it felt just sort of like, okay, this is what's happening yeah. today and <laughs> tomorrow's another day and we'll try again or only three more hours until bedtime. So I can make it. <laughs> yeah, we can um, hang in there. There's always wine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, self-medicating. <laughs> That's probably not what I should say on this podcast, but I just, I'm oh, honest. No. <laughs> okay. It's not even wine for me. It's chocolate. So there, there it is. <laughs> you got to have your thing, I know, you know, right. and, and like, I think that's another sign that you're starting to feel better. I mean, not that you're getting <laughs> wasted every night. That's not good, right, but right. that you have something that you can enjoy, that there's something that, you know, makes you feel good, whether that's going on a walk or taking a bath and, you know, it sounds like so cliche. And when you're in the, in the midst of the mood disorder, it can feel a little bit demeaning to have someone just be like, well, just take a bath. You'll feel better. 
But I think once you're starting to come out of it, that those more cliche or more sort of quote unquote surface level pleasures actually do start to mean something and can feel good. Um, so that's, I think another sign that you're starting to come out of it is that things you're finding joy in some of the things, um, that you're doing throughout the day. Amazing. I love it. I love where this whole podcast has gone, even the tangents. So kind of <laughs> wrapping up the, I know we want to touch a little bit about, about birth trauma specifically. Mm-hmm. And I know we've, we've kind of danced around it a little bit, but it's kind of wrapping up this, this portion of it. If any of this resonates with any of the listeners, um, past, present, or, you know, they have a feeling that maybe this mm-hmm. might be an issue for them. Um, what should they do, you know, just logistically or even, are there certain resources you can recommend for them? Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of tell us what that looks like. Yeah, I definitely have some resources that I can recommend. And first and foremost, I would say um, find someone that you can talk to, whether it's your partner or another mom friend that you feel safe and comfortable with. Um, a lot of women are first talking to their OB or their midwife about it. Um but talk to people about it and, and don't stop talking about it until you get help. Um, that's really important because not everybody knows what to do. And you may tell the first two people, minimize it or give you a card to call a psychiatrist or, um, yeah, just keep talking about it as much as you can until you feel like you're being heard. Um, I know it was for me, like, I think on my six week follow up, it was like a little questionnaire and it was like, are you whatever on a scale of one to five? And I feel like that's a pretty generic thing. And then I just didn't, I thought it was normal, honestly. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I kind of minimized it myself Mm -hmm. at that point. So do you feel, I'm asking you to kind of like speculate here, but I mean, the midwife or the OB or whoever, the pediatrician, I think is the one that's actually doing the survey possibly. I can't remember when it was, but I mean, they really aren't equipped to really deal with the emotional side of that. They're equipped to maybe send a referral, but like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I feel like there's something missing there as far as in terms of support. There's a huge piece missing there. um, a, A lot of those professionals are not fully educated on the prevalence of it and the importance of taking it seriously. Um, and so, yeah, it often does feel like that. Okay, here's this questionnaire and I'm just going to fill it out. And then I guess it's normal because they're asking all these things. It's probably normal. And then the doctor doesn't say anything. Mm-hmm. It, it, it happens really all the time, right. unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there are, there are organizations out there that are taking this on and trying to, um, doing a lot of outreach um, of education for professionals who may be able to pre-screen pregnant women or in that six-week um, postpartum at the checkups and things like that. Um, so it's definitely something that the the culture of people treating perinatal mood disorder um, we're aware of and and we're trying to work on. Is there any, so I know you mentioned resources, is there any specific, and we can link these to these in the show notes, is there any specific websites or like you said, organizations or where they can go to find a therapist that may specialize on this sort of stuff? Yes. Um, Postpartum, so Postpartum Support International um, is 
probably the biggest website for resources on information about all of this stuff, as well as being able to connect you with a therapist who's trained. Um, and they're all over the country. Um, there's a great book that I like to recommend to clients called Therapy and the Postpartum Woman by Karen Kleinman. Kleinman. Um, and that's written for both professionals as well as moms. So it has some good information on both sides of that. Um, and then there's a couple podcasts. Um, there's a podcast called Mom and Mind. Um, that's also run by a clinician who had postpartum mood disorders and, um, she has a lot of interviews and a lot of information on that. So, um, that's a good resource for podcast listeners. Um, as far as therapy, there's a podcast called therapist uncensored, um, which might be a little too, uh, theory heavy for a lot of your (laughs) listeners, but um, there is a lot of good information about just therapy in general and how you know you're, you're, you have a good therapist um, and what to watch out for or things like that. In and then I always, your own, in terms of your therapy experience. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay. the Red client. Flags. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I always like to um, recommend the podcast Unruffled, which is um, by Janet Lansbury. Ooh. Murder, she wrote, right? <laughs> is that a different person? Yes. That's Angela Lansbury. It's a different person, <laughs> but that's her mother-in-law. Oh, my God. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's um, so, oh, Janet Lansbury. She does a lot of – I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah she does a sure. lot of rye stuff. Yeah, rye stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And we didn't really get to talk about parenting too much on this episode, Um and, you know, some people are really turned off by Rye for various reasons, and that's totally fine. And I think um, one of the things that I like about Rye is that it really takes into account into account the parents' needs mm-hmm. and that those matter, too. And I think that's something that gets really lost, in, especially in the first year uh, postpartum. It's like um, sacrifice everything for your child. I mean, we all yeah. feel it. And when we don't, when we're not sacrificing 100%, it's like then the guilt creeps in. Yeah. I totally understand. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And so I think Rye offers kind of like, here's how you can have your needs and communicate them and have a respectful, loving relationship with your child that's not just all you give, 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 mm-hmm. give. And so are you, do you have your Rye certification at this point? Are you in training or would you be interested in coming back on and talk about that? Because yeah, we, we could do that. Okay. Cool. Um, I've done some training, um, just sort of to, to get a little more clear information. Mm -hmm. I went to Rye classes with my first daughter. Um, so that was how I first experienced it was actually from the parent side of it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I felt like it helped me so much that I wanted to understand it Mm -hmm. a little bit better and how to talk about it. Um, and the nuances of it, because it often, it kind of gets this reputation of being like, treat your baby like an adult yeah. or like give them sharp objects to play with instead of toys or these like very strange. And just see what happens when they have the knife. Just sit back yeah. and watch. <laughs> just trust them. That's respectful. Like, well, no, but, um, I know. I feel like the intentions are good, but maybe it's misconstrued a little bit. 
Um, yeah, which is yeah. why I would like someone to maybe come on because we've done, you know, some aware parenting experts. Mm-hmm. Um, we've spoken about Rye because Liz Wolf also has talked about her experience with it. Um, and then we have right. some um, people talking about positive discipline. I feel like it's mm-hmm. just helpful and not saying like Rye is the only way to go or where parenting is where it's at, at but it's like, let's bring people on who can talk about these different things and you feel find what resonates with you and you your family and your needs and all that because if you're trying to cram yourself into an aware parenting box and it's just like not working for abnormal maybe there's something not saying you know what I mean like I think there's a ton of good things about aware parenting and rye and all of it um I think every all of those approaches are in the realm of what we kind of intuitively should be doing, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. maybe people just feel a little bit guil- guilty when they don't check every box. In those, yeah. Those and, approaches. and, you know, not every parenting style is right for everybody. I mean, I, I don't believe that there is one way that we should parent. I think we all parent differently. And so I think it's more about finding, um, validation and tools to be the kind of parent that you want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that's kind of what Rye offered for me. You know, I I had only heard of attachment parenting, mm-hmm. um, which has some really great things too, but there were things that didn't work for me that I was really struggling with. And then Rye, Rye offered me a different perspective mm-hmm. on some of that stuff that felt a little more in line with the way I wanted to be doing things right. that felt good for me. So that's really... What I think is the most important is yeah. finding what feels, what feels right. Right. Um, totally. Um, I know that's kind of anyway, not on topic at all, but you know, <laughs> it it's a is an podcast. Yeah. Um, okay. So did you have any more resources or can we jump into birth trauma? The, the light topic of birth trauma. <laughs> jump in. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to kind of lead this with a listener question. Um, and she's not speaking specifically to, she never calls it trauma, but she has, she mm-hmm. had two very difficult births. Um, her, I'll just kind of read it verbatim, but so okay. many, so many mamas say they want to give birth again in a heartbeat. And I know that's kind of Laura's experience after the initial, like, oh my God, I just gave birth wore off. It was like, I could do this again. Like I'm mm-hmm. excited to do this again. Um, but her question is, is there something wrong with me? Because I don't, I never, ever want to give birth again. Maybe I should probably have another one later to quote unquote, redeem the experience and do it right. Um, she wished she could say the experience was empowering, but she can't, she feels like one of those pessimistic people who just isn't allowed to share a story because it will scare other people. Um, and she really is searching for redemption. She just kind of wants to know how to deal with that. And I, that's one person's specific mm-hmm. questions, but I feel like I felt the same. It took me almost three years to even consider mm-hmm. talking about wanting mm-hmm. to have another child. Um, and fortunate for me, my second experience was very redemptive and cleansing mm-hmm. and, you know, completely different, but I know that's not always the case. And it's for some mamas that they're never going to get to that point because they can't get out of that, that scared mm-hmm. feeling. So Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that and how it relates to birth trauma and just the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my first, my first response is just really wanting this mom to, to find some community. And, you know, like if mm-hmm. other moms are listening to this and feel similarly, um, there are support groups, there are, you know, 
people that you can talk to that will validate and hear your experience without feeling like you're the pessimistic mom in the birth group who wants to talk about how hard it is or how hard it was. The other thing that stands out to me is um, doing it right. I think she said something about doing, you know, should I do it again so I can do it right or something like that. Um, And that just feels, you know, that to me is like, um, I don't want to call it a red flag, but just there's something there for her that she still feels like she didn't do it right. And there's not um, an understanding of kind of birth happens the way it happens and it's not anyone's fault the way that it happens. I mean, there may be anger at providers or at certain people and, and just that there's something to kind of work through. Um, and also to validate her that, like you said, a lot of moms feel this way, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, 34%, like we've said so many times, but 34% experienced some form of trauma. And that can easily lead to not wanting to do it again. I mean, naturally, you would not want to do something again that was experienced in any sort of traumatic way. Mm -hmm. Um, And to look into, you know, like why can she um, go into a second experience from a place of openness? You know, if it's Mm -hmm. if she's really looking to have a reparative experience, what's going to happen if she doesn't? and how, you know, hard that would be. Um, and sometimes I think that pressure can add to a challenging experience, mm-hmm. make it more challenging kind of. Yeah. And so in your practice, would you say this mama shows up and is like, help me? I mean, do you see mm-hmm. that a lot? Do you see a lot of people struggling? You know, they're not pregnant right now. They had one or two kiddos and it, it just... Maybe they, and we don't know a lot about her specific experience, Mm -hmm. what exactly was triggering for her, what exactly was traumatic. Um, But do you see this often? I mean, do you deal with this in your practice? I mean, yeah. How how common is birth trauma? I mean, you said post 34% post, or was that birth trauma? Experienced some sort of trauma? Experienced some sort of trauma, yeah. Right. And so that they perceived it that way, you know? Right. Like, are those people seeking help or is it just something like, hey, did you did you experience trauma? And it's like, yeah, yes, so that, that statistic <laughs> came from basically like a questionnaire that was sent out. Um, I forget the researcher's name, but um, she was doing research on traumatic birth, PTSD and, and what that looks like and how common it is and stuff like that. So she had sent out a questionnaire. Um, so that's where that statistic comes from. Uh, I don't know the statistics for my specific practice, but it's definitely, definitely something that's common. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times, and this is what happened with me, I would voice something about how I was disappointed with my birth or it was really hard and the blanket response. And I think it comes from a place of a place of good intention, but it was like, well, you're okay and bears the baby's okay, so it's fine. It all worked out fine. As long as the baby's okay and as long as you're okay, like it's fine. And healthy I, baby, healthy mama. Right. And that's, that's what people say. Yes, I'm I'm like obviously <laughs> so grateful that physically 
we are both okay. But I feel like that just discounts the whole mental aspect of the motherhood transition. It's like becoming a mother, the first act is, well, getting pregnant also, but you cross that threshold by giving birth and, and society kind of expects you to give birth in a certain way. And actually that those expectations are different depending on, you know, we're kind of part of that quote unquote crunchier circle where like I wanted to give birth in a birth center and, you know, Mm -hmm. unmedicated and vaginally Mm -hmm. and all these things. And to other people that looks weird. Right. But to me that looks normal. And so I guess it's just kind of getting those, the feelings around the birth experience downplayed is, is really where I feel like people can't talk about those negative feelings. Like this mama saying, like she feels like she can't say anything because maybe people are just going to say, Hey, well you're okay. Everything's okay. So why are you still complaining about this? You know, definitely. I think that happens a lot. Um, and that like, you shouldn't feel any feelings, uh, negative feelings if you're healthy and your baby's healthy. Cause those are the most important things. And like you said, yes, of course, of course we're grateful for that. And I'm still experiencing this or, you know, it's like, well, then there must be something wrong, mm-hmm. um, wrong with me or, you know, moms often I think feel that way. And, and our society does expect moms to bounce back like nothing happened like this, this huge transformative experience, um, spiritual, if you want it to, you know, if you're inclined that way and like, how can we make more space? How can we change the story, the cultural story around the post birth or even pre birth, the getting pregnant, the, that whole process, um, you know, is, is not given the type of respect and awe that I think it should. Absolutely. And do you think, um, so I didn't do this with my first birth and, and Laura, I know she speaks about it openly on the podcast and other avenues, but I mean, she really worked before even really getting pregnant, but do you, would you, I mean, we talk about therapy all the time and we talk about Mm -hmm. how it's changed our lives and we wish everyone, (laughs) even if you think you're just like nailing it. Yeah. You're just nailing life like that you should go because I mean, if nothing, it's just someone there to like, listen and give you insight into, to anything that might be going on. So we talk about all the time and would you I think I know your answer. Would you suggest <laughs> that people, you know, start even before the whole birth process to like what you said, you know, talking to this mama about, let's talk about all the ways birth can happen and about how it's mm-hmm. all like quote unquote normal. And what would happen if you had a C-section? How would you feel? What would you like to happen if you, you know, you do end up getting a C-section? What are some things that you can control about the situation? And what are things you can't control? I feel like that's a huge part for moms, because so, so many of us, I'm speaking for moms everywhere right now. (laughs) It's, I mean, we hear it all the time. It's like, I need to control, like I need to control everything about this pregnancy. I need to control everything Mm -hmm. about the labor and delivery. Um, and then when it's outside of your control, Mm -hmm. what do you do if you haven't prepared for that? Right. And I mean, the funny thing is it's all outside of our control Mm -hmm. and we're just trying to do something to feel like we have some control. Mm -hmm. 
And that's the hardest part of it is this, this, um, what's the word? Like tension between things are out of my control and I want them to be in my control. Um, and yeah, so yes, I do think, you know, my answer, (laughs) which is, I think coming before birth is very, very valuable. Um, even if just to talk about what are your fears? Um, what are you worried about? What do you wish you could control? What do you imagine your birth is going to be like? If you could have your perfect birth, how would it be? How will it be when your baby's born? What if it doesn't happen that way? Um, you know, just making space for all of that and getting more in touch with yourself. Mm-hmm. What are your personal expectations? What is your personal history? What is your relationship like with your mother? Mm-hmm. And how is that going to impact your experience of birth and mothering? Mm-hmm. Because it will. Oh, yeah. And we haven't even really touched on that, but that's like, I feel like that's a huge piece of it. Um, Again, like just speaking from my own personal experience, it's like, yeah, I mean, I think you hit the nail on all the heads that you just mentioned, (laughs) but um, that's another thing. And that's why I think it's so important. It's like some people think, I'll just work through it on my own. You know, I'll just do it on my own and I'll be fine. But it's like, you may not even know that there's an issue with your Mm -hmm. mom or your dad or your family of origin or whatever. And and that's huge just to get some perspective. And I would say again, to this mama specifically, um, from a personal, my personal experience when I was going into the second, so my whole second pregnancy, I was very anxious about things going the way they Mm -hmm. went. Um, and luckily for me, I had a really amazing, um, midwife, my first birth. And I didn't deliver with her my second birth because we moved towns, but I was able to reach out to her and say, hey, do you remember me? But I'm having another baby. And can you just walk me through, because I felt like it was all my fault, you know, Mm. Um, can you just walk me through why this happened from a medical perspective? Because when you're in it, you're like, totally, A, it's lasting forever. B, it's never, it's, you know, it's never going to end. It's so painful. It's all wrong at least when yeah. you're experiencing birth trauma the way I did. Yeah. Um, and for me, and I carry that with me the whole, you know, the, all those years, like this is going to happen again because there's something wrong with me. And she was basically able to kind of sit down with me and be like, okay, this is what happened. Cause it's all documented mm-hmm. in, in their notes. And this is why this happened. It had nothing to do with you. And mm-hmm. that was so freeing for me. And I don't know if this mama has that, opportunity or she'd be willing to do that. But, um, even if she could get her birth files and take them to a new provider that is willing to kind of look at it objectively, um, Mm. for me, that was huge. I don't know. I don't know what your thoughts on that are from a therapy perspective, but from a personal perspective, that was great. I mean, especially because it sounds like it was really healing for you. And, and I think it is common for women who have experienced trauma in their birth to ask, to hear what happened. And sometimes they'll need to hear it multiple times Mm -hmm. because it takes a while to digest it of like, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, okay, you're saying it's not my fault because of this and this, but I don't believe it. And then can you tell it to me again? Um, So that can happen. Um, And I think is, you know, it would be great if, if moms can do that. not all, like you said, not all providers are able and or willing to really sit down and do that. Um, 
Well, it's even more so the way that we perceive a traumatic event because we're the ones experiencing it and we have, you know, the emotions and the hormones and like, I would say things about my birth and Tim would be like, my husband would be like, that's not what happened. I'm like, I remember it happening that one. He's like, no. <laughs> so even yeah. that part, it's like, oh, like I didn't push for that long or it mm-hmm. didn't last mm-hmm. 500 hours. It was only like 10 hours, but you know, in the moment, you're not able yeah. or even aware of truly talking what's with, happening. Yeah. And talking with anybody who is in the room can be helpful. Um, you know, say your provider is not able to do that. Um, but your partner was there or you had a doula, um, mm-hmm. or something like that, or someone else that, you know, personally was in the room with you that you feel safe talking with, um, can also be very healing. Yeah. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer. And I hate like kind of cutting off abruptly because this is such a, <laughs> it's a great topic, but do you have any other, I know we didn't really, we, and we can't answer her specific question without, you know, really knowing a lot more information. But yeah. What would be your kind of, her question is how do I deal with this? So I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but I want to hear it straight from you. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think I would say, um, pay attention to how you feel and, and try and work through therapy or with even just talking with a close friend that you feel safe with. Um, just kind of processing and making space for how you feel. And I don't know, maybe if there's a pressure in your family to have another child, um, but sharing, your feelings and talking with your partner, um, about how you're feeling about having another one and what your fears are and what your expectations are. Um, and yeah, of course, like finding a therapist who's trained in postpartum trauma would be ideal, but, um, any kind of postpartum work, um, I think would be really helpful and just trying to get to a place where you can accept, kind of what happened and, and where you are and that it's not wrong to not want to have another child, not want to go through that again. Absolutely. My goodness. Okay. So we're going to have to get you on for many, many more. Our resident like <laughs> I'd love postpartum to. topic <laughs> person. Um, thank you so much. That was, it's just amazing. And even as we're talking through all this, I know this podcast is not about me, but I get to benefit from the information yeah. having been through yeah. a lot of that. So even as you're talking, it's just like, I'm having realizations. And yeah. so it's just been amazing. And if I'm feeling that, I'm sure there are people out there that are still mm-hmm. are, you know, reacting the same way. So thank you mm-hmm. so much for dropping those knowledge bombs on us. Oh, yeah, my pleasure. Yeah. So tell us where we can find you. How do we connect with you? Um, you know, if just tell us all about how to connect with you. Uh, the best <laughs> where do you live so we can stalk you? Because <laughs> I think you sound like someone that we would just be best friends. Totally. Um, You can find me at my website, which is malikabush.com. We'll link Um, in the show notes. Yes. I am also on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I think my Instagram handle is malikabush.mft. Okay. And I'm fairly active on there. I respond, um, though I don't post a ton. And then I think just the last thing that I thought of that I hadn't said yet about 
therapy um, is that if you are in therapy now and you have a good relationship and you like your therapist, that's more important than finding somebody who's quote unquote trained in postpartum depression or anxiety or mood disorders. Um, if you're not in therapy and you think that that's happening, then try to find somebody um, that is trained in that. Um, most of my clients are in person, though I'm willing to see how it could work to do Skype therapy sort of thing or um, even answer questions via email. I just uh, really feel like if if people have questions, it's better that they ask them and start start to have some conversations about it than to wait and not have somebody that lives close to them or not know who to reach out to. So, you know, I definitely want to put that out there to all the listeners that please reach out if you want to. Where are you, if someone wants to work with you locally, where are you based out of? Um, so I'm based out of Berkeley, California, and I also um, see clients in San Francisco. Okay. Berkeley in San Francisco. Laura probably would know exactly how that relates geographically, but I, <laughs> being from Texas, I have no <laughs> idea about the rest of the country. Um, San yeah. Francisco is like Bay Area. Is that like middle, middle or north? It's like right in the middle of California. Okay. Like uh, people often say that the Bay Area is in Northern California, mm -hmm. but really there's like a whole half of the state above okay. uh, San Francisco that's very rural, and that's that's true Northern California. Okay. So we're kind of right in the middle. Okay, I'm getting better. It's it's because of Laura. <laughs> She's teaching me California geography, but I'm getting better. <laughs> right, and I heard you might be coming out here. I might be. I'm trying. Yes. Well, I mean, at least for a visit. Um, I'd love to move yeah. there in a heartbeat, but my husband. No, I meant for a visit. Yeah, yeah. for a visit. Um, so if that happens, we'll definitely have to like figure something out. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Because we met through Laura and social media is kind of a crazy thing. It's like a double-edged sword. It's like you love it and you hate it, but I've met so many amazing people and a lot of them are in California. So oh. I don't know if that's a sign mm -hmm. that I need to move out there or, Sounds or like what. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to tell our listeners where they can find us. Um, as always, you can like, no, you can't like us on iTunes, but you can rate us. Actually you can. No, you can't. I'm just jabbering right now. You can rate us. <laughs> You can subscribe to us, and that's equivalent to a like. Um, and write us a review. We love hearing that. I literally, I need another cup of coffee to get through this day. Um, social media, we are Laura.RadicalRoots on Instagram and Jess.HoldTheSpace. Um, and then the big thing, if you want to connect with us online, would be to join our group, a Facebook group. Um, that's the Modern Mamas Tribe, and you can search for that um, just in the search bar. We have a lot of amazing mamas there, as well as a lot of our guests that end up matriculating over there. And, you know, we don't take advantage of them, but sometimes they'll chime in on <laughs> food questions or, you know, parenting questions or whatever. So um, it's an amazing space. So if you want to connect with other people like-minded mamas, that's a great place to be. Um, and as always, you can email us at modernmamaspodcast at gmail.com. If you have topic ideas or you have feedback, we'd love to hear it. So thanks again, friend. If you want to stay on, we'll just yeah. chat for a second after we get off. But thank you so much for being here. And we're going to have yeah. you back on for sure. My pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Jess here. Just wanted to give you the heads up on a great deal that we don't want you to miss out on. 
Laura and I have recently teamed up with our friends at ButcherBox to bring you an amazing offer on premium grass-fed, hormone, and antibiotic-free meats delivered right to your door. We've absolutely been loving the opportunity to put together our own custom boxes of the highest quality beef, pork, and chicken. And we definitely don't want you guys to miss out on the chance to try it too. Right now, if you visit butcherbox.com forward slash modern mamas, you get the chance to get $10 off of your first box plus two free 10-ounce grass-fed ribeyes. You definitely don't want to miss out on this deal, friends, so get on it.